0: Have you had a busy week in the market, not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9fin where we bring you the need to know information on documentation, ESG and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high yield, leveraged loans and restructuring spaces. I'm Kat Hidalgo, a reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today, when we'll deep dive into modular's most outrageous terms with a focus on CNI buildup baskets. We'll look at the state of the ESG market today with a closer look at Granule, and we'll discuss Median Clinican and whether the tide is turning and ESG risk is now on a par with credit risk. But first, the deals in the market this week. In high yield, we have 750 million US dollars equivalent worth of senior secured notes and senior secured FRNs for Pollent Reichhold and for Agreco 700 million pounds worth across USD and GBP tranches uh, in senior secured notes as well as 485 million US dollars in senior notes. In front, a Norwegian company is also out with 130 million euros worth of senior secured FRNs. In loans, the situation is far busier. Today, we have Hughes, Gray, Agreco, the cookware company and Breitling with commitments today. And also in the market from largest to smallest, we have MKS Instruments, a US-based business. Sequins, the basic chemicals uh, for healthcare industry business. We have Grandir with its merger with Education Group, as well as 10K Grass, the artificial turf manufacturer, and Bruno, the office supplies business. Next up, we have our Covenant Close Up with Caitlin Carey. Thanks for being with us today, Caitlin. Thanks for having me, Kat. So, today we're going to be talking about Modulaire, which had commitments a few weeks ago. And it's important because we haven't seen dock changes, which we got on modular on a bond.
1: In- For quite a while. You know, modular was both a bond and a loan deal. Um, so the loans had been in market already before the, the bonds launched. We, we looked at both documents, we looked at the, the, the loan and the bond, um, and we had a lot of things to talk about in our legal analysis. There, there were a lot of provisions that were on the very sponsor-favorable end of the spectrum and included some provisions that we hadn't seen before in high-yield bond, um, provisions that we, we had seen on the loan side, um, but they were new to the, the bond, um, aggressive terms sort of creeping across from from, from loans into bonds. Any terms that have been brought over from Love loans or otherwise that you want to highlight? Yeah, so I um, wanted to talk about um, builder baskets for restricted payments covenants in um, high-yield bonds and leveraged loans um, and specifically um, builders that build only from positive consolidated net income. So the typical way that a high-yield builder basket works is um, Basically, over the life of the bonds, an issuer builds up credit that it can use to, to make restricted payments from. And usually that credit is built from 50% of the consolidated net income um, on a cumulative basis, you know, usually starting from you know, the quarter in which the issue date occurs, or sometimes the previous quarter. Um, and so, so to the extent that consolidated net income is positive, it builds up sort of 50% over over time. Um, and you treat that as one accounting period. So if there are some periods in which consolidated income is positive and some where it's negative, you sort of like add them up and then you take 50% of, you know, the result. Historically, if the result that you got was negative, you would actually have um, what was called like digging a hole in, in your CNI builder. So it would deduct capacity from from your buildup basket. Um, So which means that to the extent you had capacity under other limbs of your buildup basket, it would sort of like cancel those out um, to the extent that your, you know, historic um, consolidated net income was more negative than positive. So we started seeing zero floors a few years back. And, and what that did was it was basically like, we're not going to have this idea of there being a CNI hole. Um, we weren't going to deduct against other elements of your build up basket if your CNI was you know, negative. Um, and that has become fairly standard in the market. But what we're seeing now is we're seeing that zero floor concept go one step further. So rather than it being you take your consolidated net income on a cumulative basis since the issue date, sort of like, you know, seeing, you know, periods, negative, positive, you know, adding them all up and and seeing what the net result was and whether that's positive or negative. Um, This new positive CNI only concept means that you only take the periods in which your CNI has been positive. So if you had positive CNI of 50 in quarter one and negative CNI of, you know, negative 100 in quarter two, um, then rather than netting that to get a, a negative or flooring that at zero, so you have zero capacity, instead you get credit for half of your positive CNI. So you would have 25 of capacity for that one quarter in which you had positive CNI, so so this is a you know huge departure from um, how this type of basket has been calculated in the past, and it becomes you know really favorable for issuers whose. Um, results are seasonal um, or, you know, who expect that they're going to have long periods of time where they have negative CNI, but, you know, they might be able to, you know, rearrange things some quarter so that they, they have positive CNI. It basically, it just means that um, there's, you know, a lot more um, flexibility for, for companies to, to pay dividends, um, even if, um, you know, historically, they have not been profitable. And so what was the outcome for Modular overall? The market did push back and did make some changes to improve the terms. But I think that there remains sort of a question around uh, how materially improved the the docs got in the end of the day. Um, I, I think, you know, basically the dynamics that we're seeing on these very aggressive sponsor deals are that they, they come to market with kind of like you know, all the, the the features, the sort of, you know, grab bag of, of you know, great, latest and greatest aggressive sponsor terms. And each new deal tries to like add their own also like twists and, you know, gloss on, on things. So when things get pushed back, first it's hard for investors to know what to push back on because if there's like, 20 different things that are objectionable, and, and they have to to make a list of, of the five or 10 that they think they can get. Um, it's, you know, up to, you know, everyone's judgment, sort of which terms are, you know, the worst of the worst. Um, and then whatever changes get made, um, end up being sort of a too few because if, if there's, you know, 20 holes and you plug five of them, well, you know, you still have a leaky boat at the end of the day. Um, so so that's what we kind of saw in modulaire where they changed both the terms of the loans and the terms of the bond, um, and they reduced some of the baskets, they, um, re- you know, made some of the leverage ratios a bit tighter, um, they, you know, took out some baskets, um, they added a cap on EBITDA adjustments and a time limit for having to realize those EBITDA adjustments. Um, but, but for instance, some of the terms that we hadn't seen before in bonds, um, you know, those provisions stayed in. Um, and so at the end of the day, it was a, a really aggressive deal, um, even the post-amendment version of the documents.
0: Next up we have Please Raise Responsibly uh, with Jack David who has been back from a couple of weeks out of the office. We're going to be getting a deep dive of Granule alongside a brief overview of the ESG market as a whole because um, we're going to be looking a bit closely at ESG when we speak about Median Clinic and as well later on um, but we'll start off with what the situation is currently in the ESG market.
2: Yeah sure, thanks Kat. Um, so we've got an interesting situation at ESG at the moment. I think we've seen that uh, it's it's. It's definitely growing and the signs that it's, it's structurally changing private finance. Uh, there's been a little bit of a slowdown in ESG funds in general in Europe over the last quarter, uh, but this hasn't been the case with fixed income uh, where it's seen a slight increase. Um, there's been a PwC report uh, recently that estimates that ESG assets can make up, up to around 30 to 40% of Europe's entire private market just in the next five years. Uh, so there seems to be a clear trend that it's, it's, it's on the rise still, um, despite some kind of uh, criticisms of the way ESG is marketed uh, that we've seen recently.
0: As ESG comes more and more into the public purview and um, is thought about more in the private markets as well, accusations of greenwashing have grown and grown and it's become fairly common to have companies be accused of greenwashing what's the situation there
2: yeah very few companies really have robust net zero targets or uh, energy transition strategies and that kind of stuff
0: and so where's regulation in all of this
2: so yeah there's been uh, a big drive to hammer this out really uh eu sfdr and the taxonomy of course are the main ones attempting to target this target greenwashing by having Funds label their assets as either Article Eight or Article Nine. However, there has been reports, for example, by Institute of International Finance, that show that only 2.4% of ESG funds have been labelled Article Nine. So they're they're calling them ESG funds or they're marketed as ESG funds, but only 2.4% of them have the criteria of an Article Nine fund, and only 17% of them have the criteria that would allow them to be an Article Eight fund, which is the less ambitious of the two kind of categories of ESG funds. And yeah, there's just a lot of examples of ESG funds that, you know, they're they're describing them as ESG, but they just have minimal screening and sometimes still contain fossil fuels.
0: Oof, certainly a lot to think about. So what deals do we have in our market right now?
2: So within high yield, uh, there's been a few issuance recently. We've seen in the last couple of weeks, Modular, who is a temporary buildings company, Granular, the biggest supplier of wood pellets to the EU, uh, and it's kind of, I suppose, fueling this EU, EU biomass trend that we've seen a lot of. Um, and Europcar, the rental company, last week also issued um, some sustainable debt. Granul, I think, is probably the most interesting of these. Uh, the company finds itself kind of at the bleeding edge of this debate around EU biomass and uh, we found that this, the point of contention in this debate is around the use of whole trees. So Granol own uh, large amounts of forest in Estonia and they are felling whole trees in order to make these wood pallets. Um, and I think their argument is that this is standard forest management practice. It's done sustainably. They've got all the sustainability credentials, certificates they need. And in theory, they should be replacing more trees and they're cutting down and the the forest is is still growing. Uh, But when you dive into that a little bit more, you you see that there are reports of the Estonian government issuing some questionable uh, licenses uh, and there's signs that Granol and others might be uh, using virgin forest to, to produce wood pallets. This is then replaced by plantations which have uh, much less rich biodiversity than the, than the original forest and also have uh, less of an ability to sequester carbon. Um, plant, so plantations are a lot less carbon rich than uh, the virgin forest.
0: Next up, we have our deep discussion. Today we're going to be speaking about Median Cliniken, a German credit owned by Waterland Private Equity. I have with me to dissect this, Mikhail Skibala and Laura Thompson, two of my loans reporter colleagues. Median Clinican is a very well-known credit. It's been extremely acquisitive. Um, It was bought uh, by Waterland from Advent International in 2014 and since then it's been hugely acquisitive with more than 25 acquisitions in the medical um, and rehabilitation clinic space across Northern Europe. Median will be using this uh, particular debt financing to refinance its the capital structure of a recent acquisition, which is Priory Group in the UK. Uh, they're going to be raising, or they are currently raising, an €800 million euro term loan B, uh, split between euro and sterling tranches. And the €500 million euro tranche is Currently guided at Eurobond plus four seven five to five hundred bips, while the two hundred and fifty million pound tranche is talked between Sonia plus five seven five and six hundred basis points. So, uh, commitments would you last Thursday? But obviously, there's some drama uh, that's happened in the market. Laura, tell us what, what's been going on.
3: Yeah, so the reason we're still talking about Price Talk is because this deal's not yet closed, as you said, um, despite commitments of last Thursday. Um, this happened, we are told, from both buy-siders and television sources due to a upcoming undercover documentary by ITV at Priory Group, um, which Median has bought up and is using this financing to support. ITV has... Uh, Produced documentaries about Priory before, which have been critical, following the death of a 14 year old Priory patient in 2012. Priory was later fined £300,000 related to this death, and a 2016 inquest found her death may have been prevented if she had received proper care. So, this deal is still up in the air. It's related to this documentary, which may or may not be coming out. We're not 100% sure which way that axe will fall as well. And what we think is really the more interesting thing about this is what it might say about how ESG considerations are becoming a more important and more complicated part of deal analysis for buy-siders.
4: Yeah, I think so. And I think, for me, the big question of ITV documentary is that is he going to be uncovering some EBITDA adjustments or how the financial structure can, not like, I there's some hidden debt in Priory Group um, based on the previous IT documentaries. I don't think so. So here at 9 fm it's very interesting that any headline risk is being considered important enough for the deal to be at least delayed or postponed. I believe so far we don't have information that we have a hung deal on our hands, but um, we haven't seen the pricing, so it's it's an indication that market might be changing. And I, the first question I got to my head is, why the bank care enough about some headline risk that they want to give um, enough information to the buy side and and more time. Obviously, it wasn't the easiest credit to get through. Um, in in our preview, we have reported that uh, buy-siders don't see um, enough of a, of a transaction incentive or a rational behind combining median and priory. Um, it's a it's a business that could be only scaled, but there's not a lot of synergies for, for at least in the investors' view. Therefore, they expecting quite a flat and stable performance. So it wasn't the most exciting credit, and we still don't know what's gonna be in that. Um, a documentary that ITV is planning could have some social implications that for some investor would be a credit risk for the future the accusations could be so high that there's a regulatory risk that those fines could attack the capital structure the company is quite big that I, I, I can't really see that happening because they already been through a similar situation four years ago as, as you already mentioned so and that didn't go bust because of some some fines, um, for lack of care uh, for their pensions. So I think we're seeing an um, interesting new world where investors are putting ESG on the same level as credit risk if they're deciding to play. Because credit risk, how the company you, or if the company is able to pay their debt and their interest was always on the top level of any analysis. Rating agencies consider only that and they still don't consider ESG risk as a As a credit risk. So it's interesting that we see the world changing.
3: Yeah, definitely. I think in the past, if we're looking at ESG and how uh, it impacts the deal actually getting done, though, as we've said, this deal we're hearing is still likely to get done just after a delay for investors to have a bit more time looking at the credit. Looking back, I can think of uh, Infront as an example, who back in April tried to come to market with a 300 million euro refinancing. This was a sports marketing firm. Um, but the governance concerns, the buy-siders reported to us about the credit, likely led to that deal getting pulled. And then they came back with a, a uni tranche with Carlisle. This is a bit different because if it is the ESG concern and not, as you point out, regulatory risks leading to fines, then this is the first time I can think of the social aspect of ESG coming in. Because governance has always been part of the traditional credit analysis um, of a company. It's not just ESG. You, you, you can't invest in a company if, for example, you can't trust what, the, what management is telling you is correct. While we have seen ESG considerations more broadly impact that credit, like with Infront, this is the first time that it's stepped away from something which is so directly already tied to traditional credit risk. We did earlier in the year see controversial companies such as uh, G4S fly through the market
4: yeah, when Allied Universal was buying G4S, um, some by setter actually put that their um, track record in human rights and, and the litigation risk overall that can come out from investing in a company exposed to private prisons. We even have, I think it's the Norwegian Belt Fund officially, is, uh, have them on a the red list list of companies, let's put it simply, they don't invest in. So some investors who are breathing ESG were uh, putting it on the same level as 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 the credit risk, and they think that deal should have been killed on ESG if all the whole buy side would be feeling strongly about the their ESG consideration. That's obviously not a general opinion, but um, what we can see from that it could be some manager tiering when there's. Uh, a worse performing credit or credit that's not that exciting or at a time where there's a lot of deals in the market it's harder to to get a deal through if you have in the book people who do truly care and to your point about if it's social or or governance if there's some social aspects as, as a let's say like human rights violation or or, or crimes committed against the patient um, that like will be have to be investigated and people will be prosecuted, that could lead to management changing. So essentially you have a governance change in a company and if you believe in the management as, as the main evidence that this company go well, it might change your investment opinion. I'm mostly um, interested that the reasoning that the ba- obviously the bank banks themselves and, and the leads on the deal, who might even want this to come out before the deal is in the syndication. So. They know what they're dealing with, with the investor appetite towards this, because it seems that people got their initial opinions out on the credit, and now they're getting more information from the from some sort of a ESG perspective or what can kind of come out, or the implication that could come out of the documentary. And it will be interesting to see that if that actually is turning the um, book to not being filled properly, um, but we don't know that yet. So, so this is definitely interesting to hmm. look out for.
3: Yeah. And you're definitely right also to point out that buy-siders are telling us they can feel, they do feel that they can be pickier at the moment. They have enough supply coming across the desk so they can reject deals on fairly minor points. I mean, this week we had amedees and Hughes Gray, who were both really quite praised on a credit level. And we had people who were just so overweight in those sectors that they tossed them aside uh, fairly easily. They had other ways to fill their books. So there is the, the kind of market backdrop, which is perhaps allowing investors who are looking at median to be more cautious because supply is so abundant. The media actually chimes with this discussion quite well because this is the first time that we saw dock changes result in an ESG margin ratchet being cut um, after feedback that the KPIs weren't appropriate according to some market sources. Those were based around electric car use in Germany and reducing employee injuries. Seems like there was pushback that said these aren't appropriate um, as an ESG ratchet, and it was ultimately decided that it would be easier to just cut that. So it seems that buy sellers are also uh, becoming more pushy on what exactly KPIs they will allow in a deal, which previously has, has been a point of, of much discussion.
0: A fascinating credit that we here at Ninefin fin are watching closely, and I'm sure many analysts out there, particularly ESG analysts, will be watching closely. It's almost time for the end of Cloud9Fin, but before you go, a little bit more extra information. We are back with a star of Cloud9Fin, Ben Hoskin, one of our credit analysts. Thank you so much for being here, Ben.
5: No problem, Kat, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. Um, So you're back with um, another deal predictions piece. Can you tell us about it? Maybe give us a little bit of insight into the companies you're gonna be calling out?
5: Yeah, sure. So um, so the idea is we've got quite a big list of companies that we've been looking at who sort of issued mainly five non-call twos during sort of the peak pandemic months. Um, and we've been looking at sort of the coupon that they paid. It was at a bit of a premium. Um, some of them are quite pricey. And they've come in quite a lot. They've sort of been bid up in secondary, so they're yielding quite a bit below their coupon now. So we've just been looking at these issues that will come out possibly, you know, in summer sort of 2022. There's also the sort of added incentive for corporates to refinance whilst um, sort of base rates are going to be going up um, against central banks getting a bit touchy against inflation. So, yeah, that's basically the main I think idea behind a lot of these these uh, predictions. Uh, so, a couple, for example, we're looking at a profile. They're a sort of PVC window and door profile manufacturer. Um, very exciting, but they've sort of seen a lot of growth. Sort of e- um, EBITDA growth has been. They've expanded their margins. They're owned by an ex-distress sort of restructuring guy, and that, that that was issued with a with a nine handle, um, and I think it's now sort of trading with a, with a six or seven handle. So. Um, I think the two-year break even on that was was around 7% and that's the two-year break even is obviously just the sort of interest savings on a new deal that would um, pay off the cost to call the bond over two years. And then the other one we were looking at, uh, so we've got Diebold Nixdorf who were an ATM manufacturer. They do sort of other bits and bobs as well, but they issued some euros and some uh, dollars last July to term out some RCF drawings. Both those tranches are paying over 9%, again sort of trading up in secondary to yield around 7%, which is around their two-year break even, so um, they're another one that we're looking at, but we've got quite a long list, so I guess watch this space.
0: That's it for today's episode of Cloud9fin. Thanks very much for joining us, listener. Thank you also to Jack David, to Ben Hoskin, to Caitlin Carey, to Laura Thompson and to Mikhail Skippala. Uh, We look forward to seeing you next, next Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.